Absolute domination. Max Verstappen thrashes Lewis Hamilton on his way to victory in Mexico City to put one hand on the 2021 Drivers' Championship. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato and welcome to Round 18, the Mexico City Grand Prix. For Apex Race Manager, the mobile race simulator. Download it for free for iOS and Android. Mercedes' shock front row lockout ran dramatically against the run of practice form and every expectation for the Mexico City Grand Prix, where the thin air at altitude normally favours Red Bull Racing. It was enough for Lewis Hamilton and pole sitter Valtteri Bottas to dream of an unexpectedly strong result, but by turn one, that dream was fast becoming a nightmare. A suboptimal start by Bottas gifted Max Verstappen the slipstream into the first turn, and a gutsy move around the outside turned the Mercedes cars into glorified traffic cones as he swept into the lead. And that was it for Max Verstappen. The Red Bull racing car was so quick that Hamilton never saw him again, and he had his work cut out just to keep Sergio Perez at bay for second place in a battle that went down to the final lap of the race. The 16.5 second victory put Verstappen 19 points clear in the standings, dealing a serious blow to Hamilton's title campaign. So did Mercedes ever stand a chance in Mexico City? To help answer that question, I'm joined from RacingNews365.com, Thomas Marr. Tom, welcome to the Strategy Report. Thank you very much for having me, Michael. I wish we had a slightly better race to talk about. An important race for the championship, yes, and maybe an interesting race in terms of how performance fluctuated from Saturday to Sunday. But it's fair to say this race was not the classic of the standards we've been treated to so far this year. No, it was actually a pretty straightforward race, really. Everything kind of settled down after the chaos of Turn 1. I was I was personally quite happy uh, that it did so because it made life so much easier for writing the race report. <laughs> <laughs> it's all—it's always a, a, a trouble trying to get the report out as quickly as possible after the checkered flag. But yeah, like you say, it wasn't a, a, a like it wasn't a classic race by any stretch of the imagination. But considering how we think the rest of the season is going to go, I think that it was probably the best result for uh, a close end to the championship. You know, it was a race where Max Verstappen really did need to capitalise on Red Bull's superiority. And he did that. So he's after pulling away those seven points in the championship. Uh, It wasn't a complete disaster for Lewis, considering that Red Bull were the dominant force on the day. To come home second is, is a win in my book for Lewis as well. So uh, all in all, I think it's 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 probably as good as we could have hoped for in terms of the championship. It's an interesting take, and I will talk about the championship a little bit at the end, because with four races to go, we can almost start to divide them up in whatever way we like. But I want to go back to those expectations for this weekend, because really the word coming into this weekend was that it was all going to be about Red Bull racing. They're normally pretty good here, even if they haven't clean swept and Mercedes has won races here in the past Normally, their performance relative to other tracks is quite strong. It's all about that altitude. I always get a little bit tired about talking about the altitude at the end of a weekend in Mexico because it's at the crux yeah. of everything. Uh, it's the crux of all of the performance differences, really. But why is it that Red Bull was so strong here? Because we do know one of those elements, which was the engine, was neutralized by developments Mercedes has made since we were last year in 2019. Engine performance for Mercedes, not a problem at all. It's a tough question to to answer that, really. I think the, the, the basic gist of it is, I think the Red Bull just has just generally 
better mechanical grip, which is really what it comes down to in Mexico. Yes, you can make up for quite a bit with uh, with your downforce levels, but of course, with that 25% thinner air uh, due to being up 2.2 kilometres uh, above sea level, I think there is less uh, aerodynamic gains to, to claw back, no matter how much downforce you're able to, to physically put on the cars. So I think that's probably where Red Bull's advantage really lies. That and the Honda architecture as well on their engine side. Uh, it just means that they seem to be able to push that horsepower a little bit more than Mercedes have been in the past. Traditionally, anyway, up until this year, because this year it looked like Mercedes were back on form in that regard. They just didn't seem to be struggling as much uh, with the power side of things. And we saw that going down the straights. Hamilton was able to pull in about three tenths of a second uh, down the straights when the toe was taken out of consideration, when DRS wasn't a consideration. That That is purely down to the engine levels because uh, it seems to be that all the teams are running absolutely max downforce, maximum downforce, which would be Monaco's wings. Um, so I think the, the fundamental difference that we're seeing, Michael, is really in the levels of mechanical grip that the cars generate. And, you know, I think we can kind of expect that Red Bull will, would be slightly ahead in that regard. Absolutely. And I think it's it's fair to say Red Bull racing has always been, we normally talk about them in the context of having just additional downforce to everyone else. We know that's the way Adrian Newey has typically designed the cars during his tenure at Red Bull Racing. It's why we normally regard them as being strong at street circuits. This is not, I mean, it's technically a street circuit, I suppose, not a street circuit in in layout. But just simply for the reason that it was all about piling downforce onto the car absolutely helped, even if it was a relatively small margin in that regard over Mercedes. And then, yeah, the rest of the dynamics of the car absolutely made the difference. Or it did make the difference during the race. Interesting that they weren't able to take pole in qualifying. This has actually become one of the flashpoints of the weekend, certainly for Christian Horner, uh, who criticised Yuki Tsunoda in Q3 for getting in the way as he was trying to get out of the way. A little bit unfair, and Christian Horner did, in fact, throw back those comments after the race. But it looked like Q3, the fact that Mercedes was out of, able to lock out the front row, was really more down to execution, which I did find kind of interesting, because Red Bull is not... Really, the team we associate with sloppy execution generally didn't really have the ties in the right window in the end. Did you dare to believe, like I did, that maybe the Mercedes was having the weekend come back to them at this point? It, it was a really, really confusing weekend, mm. really, wasn't it? Because we saw we saw in FP1 and FP2 and FP3, we saw Red Bull very comfortable out front uh, on into Q1 and Q2. It was Q2, really, on the medium tyres. When Hamilton popped in that time, that was almost identical to Verstappen's. That's when, you know, the eyebrows started to go up and you started to think, huh, maybe maybe Mercedes have been, you know, sandbagging all along mm. and that they've really had the pace. We saw in the US, we saw that Red Bull kind of dialed it in through the, the course of the weekend and it looked like maybe Mercedes had done the same in Mexico. And uh, But not even to the point of just matching Red Bull. It was to the point where they were a quarter of a second up on Red Bull. It was completely out of the blue, to to be honest. It, it just went against uh, the run of play of what we'd seen uh, over the weekend up to that point. Now, I think Red Bull did screw up a little bit on the last runs with, uh, with Yuki Tsunoda and Perez making that mistake, going off, getting distracted, and then Verstappen being forced to to back off. Really, he couldn't really go full commitment through through the S's when you have two cars, you know, not that far off the racing line, and you're not really quite sure what they're doing. But I think Red Bull just dropped the ball a little bit in Q2, uh, but there was no dropping the ball on on race day really. And th- this is one thing that's kind of occurred to me. 
since. And I know that the question has been raised elsewhere. But considering the length of the straight into turn one and knowing that the car behind would have that, that you know, that really strong slipstream down into turn one, do you think Red Bull might have dropped it on purpose in qualifying? <laughs> Look, it, I mean, it worked out beautifully for them, didn't they? You know, in the end, that we don't hear so much about qualifying, certainly from the Red Bull camp, because everything worked out absolutely wonderfully for Max Verstappen, anyway. But you are right; we hear a similar thing in in Russia, don't we? Where qualifying third is almost de facto pole position because of the slipstream you're likely to get, and. As we often see, whether it's with regard to slipstreaming and qualifying, which happen to varying effects with Red Bull and Mercedes and some other teams in Q3, or slipstreams off the start, uh, you know, trying to negotiate and engineer a start, it doesn't always happen the way teams expect it. And obviously, Mercedes couldn't execute it in the way they wanted to. I will get back to that in just a second, because I do want to give one one positive point to Valtteri Bottas for the We're probably not going to talk that positively about Valtteri Bottas for the rest of the podcast. In fact, we probably won't talk about him that much at all once we get into the race. But I do want to talk about his pole position because aside from just being obviously the quickest lap of the day, as is normally the way pole position is awarded, the way he, he got the car into the zone essentially to perform in the way it did was that he trusted his gut in a way I don't think we often talk about Bottas doing. The, the, the track was warming up, and that was part of the reason why Red Bull didn't get the most out of the car. They kind of didn't anticipate the warmer track temperatures, at least for one lap. And while Hamilton and some of the other cars were tweaking setup to get there in Q3, he trusted that his setup was going to... The track was going to come to his setup. And he was absolutely right. And I just thought it was... I guess a little passage of instinctive performance from Bottas, and for a driver we don't normally talk about as being instinctive necessarily, I just thought that was worth a little bit of credit in a weekend that otherwise didn't go so well for him. Bottas is one of these drivers that just confuses me a bit, Michael. I think he's he's a passive racer. Um, mm. I don't think he's particularly good at wheel-to-wheel. Um, there, there's very few... Uh, moments off the top of my head I can think of where I've gone wow Valtteri that was amazing but there is no doubt that he is very very capable of putting in a fast lap by himself he's very good over a single lap most of the time and I think I'm not sure whether Lewis's qualifying powers are starting to slip maybe a little bit I don't Mm. want to have you know the the Hamilton posse after me for this but (laughs) I, I I don't think Lewis is quite as strong over a single lap as maybe he has been in the past. And Valtteri, I think, just hasn't quite lost that single lap speed yet. And I think Mexico was probably the, the sign of that. You know, we're, we're at crunch time in the championship now mm-hmm. and still Lewis couldn't overcome Valtteri. The, these are when the chips are down. These are when champions rise to the occasion. And we've seen Lewis do that in the past and he didn't do it in Mexico um, didn't do it in the United States and I just feel that Valtteri now that he has his future you know sorted with Alfa Romeo next season he's uh, he's not quite as worried about what's going on with, with Mercedes I think he's just relaxing into it he's in allowing his natural speed to, to flow through him um, and that's what he's good at he's good at qualifying he's good at single lap racing uh, single lap pace it's just when it comes to actual racing mm-hmm. Um, he's not quite up there and not quite as good in the way that Hamilton and Verstappen would be. Loves low grip circuits as well for whatever reason, and this was a bit of a low grip circuit, so I guess that was always going to be a little bit of a plus in the in the Bottas column. But you're right, ever since he got that long term deal, which he's been saying his whole career that all he needs is a long term deal, and now it feels like a, a little bit of the pressure is off his shoulders. But you wouldn't have guessed it from the way the race started, because let's talk about that, because this was really 
the start and the end of who won the Grand Prix fundamentally. Mercedes on the front row, but lasted only around 800 metres, which is the run down to that first corner. Sort of suboptimal start, I guess, by Bottas. Wasn't bad by any means, but it didn't get him. Ahead. It didn't keep him ahead of Hamilton, and it certainly meant Verstappen was well in the slipstream. It certainly meant Hamilton couldn't take the slipstream and kind of obstruct Verstappen in the way that he said he envisaged the start of the race going. But more to the point, and this has been the contentious point of the race, uh, certainly for Toto Wolff and Lewis Hamilton, who commented it as much afterwards. But Bottas didn't really seem to be especially aware of the risk of being passed around the outside, which was the racing line, so probably he should have been. It meant Verstappen had, without detracting from, I guess, the difficulty of the overtake or the risk of the overtake around the outside in this situation, had a relatively easy passage through to the lead. How much should we be blaming Veltri Bottas, I suppose, for the ease with which Verstappen took the lead? Because as we know, once that car was in clear air at the head of the field... It was all over. I think Valtteri was put kind of in between a rock and a hard place, really, in that he knew he had to fully commit to try getting to turn one first, while at the same time trying to hold back Max and somehow try to let Lewis through as well. I think the, the what he probably should have done is just go full send for turn mm. one, be a maximum defence, uh, be as aggressive as possible, keep whoever it is behind, and then, you know, further around the lap or in the early laps. Lewis doesn't need to lead at the start. He needs to lead at the end. So I think Valtteri, when he reached turn one, was trying to be generous to Lewis, trying to be careful with Lewis, um, and, you know, hadn't really done quite enough to, to cover off Max. And I think that might be why Total Wolf was a little bit critical uh, after the race, because, you know, if he had moved left a little bit rather than kind of staying central and even moving a little bit, you know, even slightly more to the right, um, then I think Max would have had that momentum stymied. You know, like we saw with Vettel and Hamilton two years ago when Vettel crowded Hamilton onto the grass and was like, no, you back mm-hmm. off. Um, and I think Valtteri probably could have done that, but for some reason he just didn't. And I think that's kind of, that's the kind of nature of what Valtteri is. He's a very, very fair racer, but he's fair to the point of being passive. Um, and that's a word I've used about Valtteri a lot in, in articles this year. And, you know, it's, it, I, I don't feel good about saying it about him because Valtteri's a lovely guy. I think he's a, he's a stand-up guy. He's one of the, the good guys of the paddock. But I just don't really think he's an aggressive enough. He's not a ruthless enough racer in the way that Max and Lewis are capable of being. And I think, you know, that 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 side of the, the racer, the, the the full commitment, full send kind of driver, uh, I think was best epitomized by Verstappen at that exact moment when he slammed on the anchors. I thought he'd got he was going to go sailing across turn one. I thought he'd left it that late. But he had judged it perfectly. And uh, Christian Horner said afterwards that, you know, he'd practiced that breaking point mm. on his reconnaissance laps to the grid. And Max knew what he was doing. He just needed that little bit of space and he knew what he was going to do if he was given that space. If it had been Lewis on pole, I don't think he would have had that space. I think he would have been run out of room. So I think all everything just aligned perfectly for Max to get that run, get her on the outside line and then pick his breaking point and sail her on the outside, considering he knew as well that Mercedes were kind of weak on, on breaking into that corner anyway. Yeah, you raise, uh, well, I mean, a fascinating prospect about what it would have been like had Hamilton been on pole. I hadn't even considered that really. And I suspect we might have even got fireworks at turn one had that really been the case. But the 
point on the brakes is absolutely uh, a good one because we did see that was really the first moment we did start to see difference in the the power of the packages i suppose the red bull and mercedes packages they'd had trouble breaking into there all weekend perhaps by nature of the fact that they're just lacking downforce which meant they lacked the confidence to avoid locking up the front tires going into turn one whereas red bull racing had absolutely no such problems yeah and as you said he was practicing on the way in so he knew what he was doing there and veltri bottas i guess by virtue of not knowing or not expecting it just did not cover it at all. And then, of course, Valtteri Bottas's race fundamentally ended, well, a second or two later, cut across the track to hit the apex at turn one, where Daniel Ricciardo already was. I don't want to spend too long on this, but I do want to ask, because it has proved unusually contentious, I think. Do you see any driver being at fault here? Some people were surprised Ricciardo didn't pick up a penalty for this one. What did you think? It's a tough one, isn't it? Um, mm. I I think Valtteri was slightly hesitant on the throttle at turn one, um, which I think caught Daniel out a little bit. But at the same time, when you're the driver behind, you're supposed to kind of, you know, not, not just fully commit to the corner anyway and expect that the car will have cleared itself based on what you expect rather than what you see. So I'm in two minds. I th- I think it, it probably is just a racing incident, which I think mm. was probably the right call. But uh, if Daniel, I think, hadn't uh, been been damaged himself and and required a pit stop, maybe the stewards would have been a little bit more uh, strict on it. But he'd ruined his own race as well. So um, I I just thought it was quite ironic that the driver he ended up in front of for the next forty yeah. laps was Valtteri Bottas, and you know Mercedes must have been tearing their hair out uh, looking at the back of that McLaren, um, knowing that he was the reason that they were back so far. But um, yeah, I, th- I think a racing incident is probably the, the best way to look at it. Uh, I would have to say if I was particularly angry or vitriolic as a, as a race steward, I probably would have said Ricardo was more to blame, but only marginally. 55-45 maybe. Yes, very fine call. But I do think that a racing incident was probably the right thing on balance of this one. So Verstappen was gone here. It was pretty clear early on that Hamilton didn't have the pace to match him. The Mercedes didn't have the pace to match him. Even the safety car restart a couple of laps later, uh, Verstappen had no trouble keeping the field at bay, really. Hit the power, exiting that last corner, which is where his car had an advantage, meant there was no uh, problem being slipstreamed down to that first corner and he was gone we didn't see him again it was pretty clear to Mercedes that this race for them was all now about staying ahead of Sergio Perez limiting the damage and to be honest considering you know everyone expected a Red Bull racing front row here second place wouldn't be bad damage limitation for him and in Mexico given it's on only one stop we know it's all about how early you can pull that undercut trigger but The other thing about Mexico is that in the thin air, it's really difficult to follow because you'll overheat your brakes, you'll overheat your engine, which means it's really critical not to pit into traffic. I think we probably got a glimpse as to how keen Mercedes was to keep track position, to bank that track position with the undercut by the fact that it did just pit Hamilton into traffic. Luckily, Leclerc and Gasly pitted out of his way. But I guess that was a little bit of a glimpse into, I don't know if desperation is necessarily too strong a word, but just how much Mercedes knew it didn't have really very many options in this race. I, I, I think Mercedes were kind of snookers no matter what really there, Michael, to be honest. Um, having Perez so close behind, uh, I, I think they were they were cornered. 
they they had to do it because uh, Sergio, I think, was within probably a lap or two of of doing it. I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think Ted Kravitz reported on on Sky that uh, that Red Bull were actually out in the pit lane on yeah. the lap that that Valtteri or that Lewis pitted anyway. So I think Red Bull were going to pull that trigger. Mercedes responded, and that's why Red Bull stayed out. They I don't know why they didn't decide to race in the pit lane, uh, given the fifty fifty nature of it. It probably would have worked out better because. Um, one thing that I was really surprised by was the fact that on Lewis Hamilton's outlap when he got held up uh, by Charles Leclerc mm. and it looked like Perez was was you know it looked like he might just edge out in front yeah. of 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 Hamilton. I was surprised that Red Bull didn't pull the trigger on the following lap um, and try to make the most of Lewis being held up. But I guess the reasoning behind that might have been that while Sergio was accelerating back up to speed, he might have ended up in front um, but with such a long straight and with so much momentum for Lewis maybe maybe they thought that he wouldn't have been able to hold on to that position by the time they reached the breaking point for turn one that's prob- that's my only real thinking on it because you know if, you, if you're handed a gap where it looks as though you've done enough surely you'd pull the trigger but instead they went long and you know it didn't pay off for them in the end which uh, I was a little bit surprised that Red Bull didn't jump on that to be honest Yeah really good call actually because whilst they clearly committed to going long once Hamilton pitted they were clearly good, what seemed like they were doing the opposite as you said they kind of decided they could pit unless Hamilton stopped it was clear almost immediately that well obviously as soon as Hamilton came out as he exited pit lane that he was going to be stuck behind at least one slower car for at least one lap that the advantage was there to be seized upon because as much as running long you know almost got Perez ahead as we saw it ended up being well one of the few action points of the race a little bit of a thrill at the very end of the race overtaking is very difficult here especially given as they probably could have expected, they were travelling amongst lap cars, which made things only more difficult to manage when everything's on such a temperature knife edge. It does feel like, you're right, a little bit of a missed opportunity potentially for Perez to get ahead. Uh, that for Those final laps were really the, the, the most racing, I guess, we saw certainly for the podium place. Perez couldn't quite get it all done. Uh, which meant he still finished on the podium, which was great. Very popular podium for him. But I guess really the the summary of the question here of the the entire podium composition, noting that we didn't have to talk about Max Stafford again uh, at this point, was how much do you think, and I know you touched on this earlier in the program, but how much do you think this was successfully executed by Mercedes? Given they didn't expect to get much out of this weekend, they didn't expect the track to suit them, but they did start on the front row. Do you think Lewis Hamilton is reflecting on this as a a good weekend despite the performance? It's hard to tell really because yes, it was a front row start but it was a front row start they weren't expecting Mm. in the first place. They they knew that Red Bull were quicker uh, on race pace. I think Lewis said it was something like they were expecting two tenths of a second a lap uh, deficit to Red Bull. That ended up probably being more like four tenths really on race day uh, to Verstappen anyway. But you know, considering how dominant Verstappen and Red Bull were, we have to remember that Lewis still finished second. The damage was minimal yeah. in the championship. So, yeah, it doesn't matter whether Max won by five seconds, ten seconds. It doesn't matter whether he won by a minute. It's the same points at the end of the day. And that, to me, I think is something that Lewis will take some comfort from, knowing that there's tracks coming up that will arguably suit the W12 better, the likes of Jeddah or Qatar, um, which are being earmarked as as Mercedes territory. So 
I think Mercedes might be a little bit unhappy to have squandered a 1-2 in the con- because of the constructors' uh, implications. Because obviously their mm. constructors' lead has been slashed now down to one point. But for the drivers' championship, I don't think... Yeah, Lewis is never happy to lose. I don't think Lewis will take any pleasure in being beaten by Max. And I don't think he'll take any pleasure in, you know, having uh, three races in a row where Max has, has pulled out, uh, 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 has outscored him in the points. But it's still only a seven point loss at a track where Red Bull were dominant. So at a track maybe where things are more balanced or where things are more pro Mercedes, you know, it might be where they get the one two there and that 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 outscores anything Red Bull have done this weekend. So I don't think it's the end of the world uh, for Lewis, although Mercedes might feel a little bit more strongly about it. So that was how the podium was decided. Verstappen did enough to ensure that there was no undercut risk from Hamilton and the risk was minimal to begin with. He stopped on lap 33. Hamilton lap 29. Perez, that 11 lap tyre difference wasn't enough to get him ahead uh, despite being so close in those final laps. Stopped on lap 40. That was the podium decided. That's how the points broke down. Uh, It meant that Red Bull Racing is now one point behind Mercedes as you touched on there because Bottas wasn't able to score. But this is the one point where I will bring Bottas back into the conversation. The fight for fastest lap it's funny all those years ago when the fastest lap point was brought in it was raised as potentially being a championship decider and would we like that obviously we've never really seen that happen because of the nature of the last couple of seasons but one point between mercedes and red bull racing still obviously four races ago but still we can almost call that the bottas commemorative point at this point because (laughs) he was stopped twice at the end of the race uh, to, to set the fastest lap of the race, to take it away from Max Verstappen, which is the difference. It's that point and help to limit the damage for Hamilton. But I thought it was really interesting and we saw some of this on the TV, uh, but you can always go back and look on, uh, you can find videos on your video server of choice, I suppose, uh, of Bottas emerging from that first pit stop at the end of the race for soft tyres, pretty much alongside Max Verstappen. Verstappen very clearly aware of what was going on here, of course, played with Bottas to prevent him from setting the fastest lap for a few laps, forced Bottas to stop again just to get out of the way. I thought that was a great bit of, uh, I don't know, an additional dimension to Verstappen's race. Am I allowed to use bad words? I mean, I guess so. I thought it was epic shithousery from Verstappen, <laughs> to be honest. I I thought that was hilarious when, when Bottas emerged behind Verstappen and you saw Max basically clock the Mercedes in his rearview mirrors and he went, oh uh-huh. Valtteri's going to try setting fastest lap. I'm going to make some mistakes for the first time <laughs> in this race. And we saw Max then slowing down going into sector three. Oops, silly old me. I've locked up my left front wheel through the stadium. Oh, sorry, I've held you up there, Valtteri. And you can just see Valtteri going, oh, for God's sake. And Mercedes were wise to it. It, it ultimately pr- proved futile for Max because Mercedes just pulled Valtteri in again found him a space on track and just sent him out again to to do the same thing. But it took him until the last lap. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was worth the try from Max to do it. And I think that really showed just how comfortable Max was up front that he had. uh, He was so uh, under such little pressure that he had the time to think about that, the time to sacrifice three seconds of his lead, make a mistake just for just for the hell of it, really, just to (laughs) hold Valtteri up. And then, um, you know, just just the entire sequence of events there I thought was was very funny. But I'm all for uh, teams 
you know engaging in tactics like that i think it just adds an extra little layer of interest to the whole thing absolutely i mean it's rare that obviously the leader would get an opportunity to play a role in that but verstappen did it well as you said and look you got to feel a little bit for valtteri bottas i suppose was absolutely deployed not even as a second driver in this race but just uh just to fight fires fundamentally for mercedes but that is the role i guess he's becoming accustomed to playing there in his final few races let's just touch on a couple of other strategies quickly up and down the field because there was only so much movement in this race I thought this was quite a good race for Ferrari uh, in summary I mean yes they're third in the constructor standings now with a handy little margin a strong performance for the car uh, with Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz finishing just behind Gasly fourth fifth and sixth but they were able to successfully or almost successfully I should say execute the pincer movement that I guess Mercedes, uh, or rather Red Bull Racing, couldn't ex- didn't need to execute uh, against Hamilton. It was Leclerc that pulled Gasly into an undercut early, which luckily got out of Hamilton's way as it happened, and allowed Sainz to go long and hope to chase down Gasly at the end. I think the Alpha Tauri probably just had a little bit too much performance for them. But there was a little bit of team orders required for Ferrari there. Uh, everything seemed to go all right, but I couldn't help but feel that Science was held back probably a lap or two too long, partly because they were navigating traffic, which meant he couldn't maximise the strategy. Do you think there was anything more Ferrari could have done in this race? Or is it just a matter of that car not being quite on the pace of Alpha Tauri, at least at this race? No, I, I don't think that lap or two that, that Charles, you know, ostensibly held Carlos up a little bit, as you say, going through the traffic. I don't think it really made that much of a difference. Pierre looked comfortable mm. uh, in fourth place, pretty much right from the get-go really in the race it really goes to show just how comfortable the Honda power unit seems to be yeah. at altitude that the Alfa Tauri had, had so much uh, extra performance on the Ferrari uh, even with Ferrari having that, that power unit update uh, a couple of races ago but Charles was cooperative even if he sounded somewhat reluctant <laughs> on the radio but he was cooperative with the with the team strategy Carlos was, uh, as you said, he was in a pincer movement. He pitted, I think it was 12 laps or so mm-hmm. after Charles. Uh, Ferrari threw everything at that AlphaTauri. They tried both tactics. They tried one, as you say, undercut, one going a bit longer. Neither of them worked. Um, I, I really don't think there was much more Ferrari could have achieved, really, Um in a straightforward race, at least, that didn't have a safety car or any sort of uh, of strategic intervention, really. Yeah, and without McLaren there, although this was a pretty poor weekend for McLaren, even in terms of pace, uh, there was no other team really for Ferrari to worry about. So they could do as they liked. And maybe that's why there were no Ferrari-esque mistakes in this Grand Prix. But finally, I do want to talk about uh, Alfa Romeo, a team I really get an opportunity to talk about on the strategy report. But they were on for decent points in this race. In fact, after the first lap, Antonio Giovinazzi was up to sixth then dropped to seventh behind the Ferrari drivers at the restart, which was probably fair enough, given it is still an Alfa Romeo car. I can only hope for so much. But he was looking good to keep ahead of Sebastian Vettel, for example, who was ahead of his teammate Kimi Raikkonen. But he stopped really early. He stopped on lap 16. We touched on earlier how important the undercut could be, but also simultaneously how important it was to stay out of traffic. Unfortunately, Alfa Romeo thought they were timing it very closely, but he emerged directly behind Ricardo and Bottas, who had already made their first pit stop, obviously having been involved in that lap one crash, weren't due to stop until around about lap 40. Giovinazzi stopped on lap 16. 
deeply unhappy Giovinazzi was, I think it's fair to say. I don't know if we could use even stronger words than that, quite possibly, considering he's probably on the way out at the end of the year. But a, a clear opportunity gone begging for Alfa Romeo to score points in the fight with Williams, and also just for Antonio, who, you know, in a couple of races may not get an opportunity to score Formula 1 points again. Yeah, I, I think Antonio was... Uh very annoyed to put it mm-hmm. lightly after the race and I think um, you know that sarcastic radio message at the end where he said thanks thanks guys for yeah. the strategy I, th- I think that really shows that you know it's it's probably over for him at Alpha and I think he probably knows it mm-hmm. um, maybe he hasn't been directly told yet but I think the writing's on the wall there it is a pity for him because um, I- I- I'm a bit of a fan of Italian Jesus I think he's <laughs> he's 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 just one of these guys that I think um, he needed a bit of a kick up the bum. Mm-hmm. And I think he got that earlier on this year when um, when it became known that, you know, his seat wasn't secure and mm-hmm. Raikkonen was retiring. I think Antonio has stepped it up quite a bit in recent races. I think Raikkonen's had the measure of him for basically two and a half years. But in the last couple of months, I think Antonio has has come on in leaps and bounds. And, you know, he, he weathered uh, turn one pretty well. He was up to sixth, yeah. as you said. He, he was fighting with signs for a while. Um, but he looked good for points and he was leading that alpha charge until that pit stop. And I think this is fundamentally where where Alfa Romeo have really, really kind of, you know, dropped the ball in the last year or two. Operationally, they're not sharp. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it should have been obvious to anyone with live timing on their, you know, on their phone or their tablet or, you know, basic calculation of how long it takes to make a pit stop. It should have been obvious that they were going to come out behind Bottas and Ricardo. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure why they put themselves in a position to make that happen. I just, I can't figure that one out. So from there, the race was doomed. And, you know, Kimi did well in the other Alpha to come home in eighth. Yes, it was eighth. So yeah, Kimi did well. But I think it's fundamentally that lack of operational sharpness that we've seen time and time again from Alpha. We see them constantly. I know it's a bit of a joke at this stage, but, you know, the drinks bottle yeah. constantly being an issue for Kimmy. We we heard him going going spare on the radio in Turkey, going, mm. like, why is it always the simple things that we keep screwing up? I don't think screwing was the word he used, but, <laughs> um, you, you know, he, he's right to question these things. I think that lack of sharpness Considering where Kimi has raced in the past, I think that might be what has really frustrated Kimi the most. Um, and, you know, Sauber have been sharp in the past. So it's kind of strange that, that this sloppiness has kind of set in um, during the Alfa Romeo years, more so than I think that were there during the Sauber years. Uh, I know they're still technically Sauber and, you know, fundamentally not much has changed, but there's just an operational slackness there that I don't really understand why it's there because a team in their position needs to be able to capitalise on the opportunities that they're given, especially now that the car seems to be working at some tracks, but they're just dropping the ball. And we've seen it before. Um, Yes, I think Kimi was a little bit unlucky at Imola to have that disqualification, but that was an operational procedure that, again, I think Alpha probably should have been on top of. Yeah, I think that's a fair call. It will be interesting to see if the car is improved again next year under new rules, how they perform. But that were the key points from the Mexico City Grand Prix, a race Max Verstappen dominated ahead of Lewis Hamilton as a final point. And I'm glad I can still ask this question. I hope I can ask it right till the end of the season. Well, not the last race, obviously, but... 
how do you see this championship going? I know Max has got a, a handy 19-point lead now, but the Constructors is very close. Do you see it going down to the wire, and who for you is going to win it? I think there is going to be there's going to be one more sting in the tail, I think. Um, I think Max has been the unluckier driver so far this year in terms of DNFs and incidents happening to him. Um, I... <sighs> I, I, again, I don't want to have the Hamilton posse after me, but <laughs> I, I don't think Lewis has had that same uh, balance of bad luck over a season happen to him just yet. Um, and you can't say Azerbaijan was bad luck because that was a that was an error. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think there's one more sting in the tail left. I don't think it's going to be smooth sailing for Red Bull. I do think something is going to happen to them. Uh, at one of the races where Max is going to lose big points. But I think it's going to be balanced out. Something's going to happen to Lewis as well um, because I don't see him getting through an entire season without something happening um, to, to balance out, you know, the three DNFs that, that Max has had. So, yeah, I, I think it is going to go to the wire. And I don't know, I still have a suspicion Lewis is going to sneak it. I think Max is probably the more deserving of the two this year based on his driving, solely on his driving. But I think the Lewis and Mercedes package is still, it's still formidable. And for me, I think it'll still, I think they'll still sneak the championship. I love a good gut feeling and that is as good a feeling as any. I certainly hope it goes down to the wire, no matter what the result is anyway. Tom, it's been a pleasure to talk about the Mexico City Grand Prix with you. Thank you very much for having me, Michael. And uh, hopefully we'll have an enjoyable last couple of races of the season. Max Verstappen is unlikely to have Mexico City levels of car performance at any of the four remaining races this season, but with 19 points at hand, it doesn't really matter. One more win should be enough to take championship destiny out of Hamilton's hands and put one of his own on the trophy. Thanks very much to Tom for joining me. The Strategy Report is powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race strategy simulator. Download Apex Race Manager for free for iOS and Android devices. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report on your favourite podcast app to ensure you never miss an episode. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork, and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll catch you next week for an analysis of the Sao Paulo Grand Prix.